Welcome to Rock Album Analysts, your weekly podcast where three lifelong friends, rock musicians, and rock fans take an in-depth look at a different rock album each week. This is your host, David Lucarelli. This is John Carson. This is Mike Gavigan. And today we're going to be taking an in-depth look at Generation Swine. So coming off of the relative commercial disaster that was the Motley Crue self-titled album with uh, John Karabi, Motley Crue has a lot of pressure on them to reunite with Vince Neil for the next album. And uh, Vince Neil himself also has pressure uh, in terms of his career. And so um, it becomes kind of a marriage of convenience. They work with producer Scott Humphrey, who worked on the last album with them primarily as a computer programmer and playing keyboards. But he is also a record producer in himself, uh, in and of himself. He's a smart guy. He's made some great sounding records for bands like Rob Zombie and Power Man 5000. Um so the band goes into the studio. They had already started recording with John Karabi uh, in 1995. So uh, the, this album was actually recorded off and on uh, between 1995 and 97 at many studios, Can-Am Recorders, Tarzana, Music Grinder Studios, Conway Studios, The Enterprise, The Chop Shop, and something called Butt Cheese west studio which ooh, um <laughs> yeah right yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the album comes out and uh i guess first we should just talk about our overall impressions of generation swine well it's definitely my favorite smashing pumpkins album um <laughs> <laughs> and I, I hate smashing pumpkins i know i'm like one of the few people that abs i absolutely despise them um but it's uh it's not a bad album the songs are well crafted they just i don't know like lyrically it lacks some of the edge that uh nikki six has had before but then i read some review where they were like this is the real nikki six's writing um so i don't know it's uh all right quick story so my band is playing a gig in the strip district in pittsburgh a radio station is there and they are promoting this new motley crew album um and they're i mean they were but they're they're doing giveaways and one of the giveaways is a cd of generation swine and a t-shirt of generation swine and the it's a trivia question um and the question is is what where did uh uh saint patrick come to come from because it's around saint patrick's day that we're playing and everybody's screaming ireland and of course being the good catholic boy that i am i know that it's actually italy rome you know he's a missionary or whatever uh -huh. and so I, I win the cd and i win the t-shirt and every you know and, and like nobody cares about molly crew now but i'm actually pretty psyched about it so we're loading out and i leave it in the car of the drummers overnight he throws the cd away and uses the t-shirt to wipe down his car wow so wow. i never listened to it 
<laughs> Man. So this is actually the first time that I've ever actually listened to this album. Okay. Mike. So yeah, so I'm done talking about it. Go ahead, Mike. Um, yeah, you know, when it when it first came out, I, I bought it straight away and I listened to it and I liked it just because it seemed to have some energy. Um, and it was, you know, sort of a reunion of sorts. Um, but, you know, but, uh, you know I, kind of, I, I kind of quickly got over that, you know, especially after seeing the, the live show, you know, the follower on the tour. Um, and I really haven't listened to it, um, you know, really since it came out, you know, for that, that time period. Uh, but listening to it now, I, it, it sounds to me more like a band that is, you know, is breaking up rather than the band that's reuniting in a way. You know, it seems really disjointed. They're going in different directions. You know, you got, you know, it's first time I think where you know basically everybody's doing well, with the exception of Mick, everybody's doing some uh, some lead vocals now in, in certain certain points. Um, it reminds me of like almost like Kiss uh, Dynasty Unmasked era stuff, you know, where you've got all these guys that are going in different directions. Like you know, one guy's pursuing or you know sort of chasing trends, and other guys wanting to write these rock songs and not getting along with the producer. And you know, some people are writing you know trying to write pop songs or the the, the, the odd ballad. Which is it? Just seems kind of disjointed to me. It doesn't seem like a united front, and um, I think sorely lacking and missing from this record is the classic uh, Mick you know, guitar guitar sound. Like there's, mm. there's not really like the, you know, the bluesy feel. I mean, this is, this is the furthest thing they've done. You know, from furthest thing they've done, you know, done since like things like you know, the heavy groove that they're usually doing. I, mean, I think that's missing on this record. Um, you know, but you know, I think ultimately, John, I think I agree with you. I'm not the biggest Smashing Pumpkins fan, but I definitely hear that. Uh, sort of sound in this record and I you know, might not be surprised if we get to the end of this podcast and this might be a record that I actually don't like yeah I gotta say this is probably my least favorite Motley Crue record and I don't think that it was great when it came out I don't think that it's aged well um I I think that up until this point the band was rewarded for taking chances and 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 taking risks and in terms of their career every time they they took a, a left-hand turn uh their career either stayed at the same high level or they actually got more popular you know so it's like they went like effeminate glam and people went there with them right they went dark nihilist and people went there with them they went, they they quit drugs and alcohol and people went there with them and now this is the first time the audience had really pretty much rejected them with the karabi album and i feel like it comes across like a band that has just been shattered that doesn't really know what to do or what direction to go in um because this was sort of a reunion album in, in a sense, and nobody really cared because not enough time had passed, I think. I think there needs to be a set number of years in the lifespan of the average rock fan, not loyalists like us, but the average rock fan, where you know they feel ashamed of what they liked as a kid and they distance themselves from their past and their teenage tastes and then years later they re-embrace them as a way of reviving reliving their childhoods you know the simpsons had a line everything i loved as a kid hated as a teenager i now love again as a middle-aged adult it's kind of similar to that um and the older you are, you know, the less you care what others think of your taste. And you also get the perspective that so many of the memories that you made when you were listening to that music 
are precious to you now because you were coming of age and they're indelibly tied together, your music and your memories. But all that hadn't happened yet. At this point, Motley Crue was still just this band that really was trying to find their place again in the music scene. And like, I think Nikki had for years been praised as being a great lyricist and winning awards as being a songwriter. And now overnight, he was told, you know, you're this cartoon character relic of the past and your stuff has no depth to it. And, you know, unlike the 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 deep profundities that these poets in the grunge area in era are uh, spouting off, you are a shallow plastic bygone relic, you know, and a control freak too. And, uh, and I think, so, you know, you've got Nikki allowing other people to write lyrics, which isn't necessarily a great idea. And then you've, you've got uh, other people that are singing songs. You've got Tommy singing songs, Nikki singing a song, also not a great idea. And a lot of this material was written with John Karabi potentially in mind as the singer. So it's not really written to showcase the strengths of Vince's voice. You know, you've got Tommy who wants to play with drum loops and sound hip and current and stuff. But, you know, he, his whole, one of his great strengths is what a great feel he has as a drummer. And as soon as you start putting all these samples and drum loops and everything around it, you start to lose that feel. And then you've got Scott Humphrey, who is not a guy that understands what he's got in Mick Mars as a guitar player or how to bring out the best of what he can contribute to the song. So it's almost like they've just randomly sampled some Mick Mars riffs and stuff and kind of glommed it together. But there's not much going on in terms of Mick's lead playing or his contributions to the songs. And I know a guy that was an assistant engineer when they were at um, one of those studios. And he told me that like, there was a lot of tension, you know, they were laughing behind Mick's back, the producers and stuff at him. There was not a lot of mutual respect going on. And I think you can hear that in, in this record. Um, there's a quote from Alice Cooper where he talks about baby bands that uh, hook up with a producer that's really into samples and sequencing and things like that. And the first time that they listen to their record, it's like a revelation because there's all these sounds and things happening. And they're like, hey, did I play that? Was that what the song is supposed to sound like? Okay. You know, and I, I think of that quote when I hear this record because there's all kinds of shit going on, um, mm -hmm. which sometimes can be cool, right? I mean, we've experimented with, with putting in samples and, and, and little things, but, but I, I don't think it does these songs a great service much of the time on this record. So uh, the first song, Find Myself. Uh, it kind of actually rocks. Um, I mean, I actually like, this is probably my favorite song on the album, actually. Um, <clears throat> the only... Uh, you know, I mean, the lyrics are totally like not that great, though. 
you know what I mean? I mean, I like the whole, you know, yelling destruction and, you know, that kind of stuff. I think that's cool. I guess that's his kid that he records in it. Um, but the vocals, it, the vocals took me aback because that's not how Vince sings. You know what I mean? He's singing in a lower register, I guess, or I think whatever. the lower register stuff might actually even be Nikki. The verses are Nikki. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, okay. Yeah. Well, then that makes sense because I didn't. Mm -hmm. uh, the vocals were totally weird. Um, he seems to be sort of self-referential rather than actually saying that he's such a badass. You know what I mean? It's like he's almost mocking himself to some degree. You know what I mean? Um, but you know, and but at the same time, the song the way rocks. I mean, I like the song. Like it actually kind of stood up for me. I was like, this is, and, and I think it would have stayed on um, just about any, you know, alterna radio station at the time. You know what I mean? It would have been kind of okay, you know? So, I mean, I know that the X, because of that thing down at um, Whiskey Dicks or whatever, I think it was where we played. Um, I know that they were promoting it. I know they weren't playing it on the radio. You know what I mean? And I know at that time I was so poor that I wasn't buying any music. You know what I mean? I was getting demo tapes from other bands to listen to. Um, so, but I remember listening to crap tons on the radio and this would have fit right in. You know what I mean? I mean, it totally would have fit in. So, all right, go ahead, Mike. Yeah, it, it's definitely, it's heavy for sure. Uh, it, it's a cool riff. Um, you know, but talk about, you know, taking, you know, a flying leap and, and having your bass player now be the first person that you hear singing on, on an album you know it, it's almost when you hear it at first you're like okay it kind of sounds like a riff that would have been on the previous record in the self-titled album but then who is that voice i mean it's not if you look at the you know the packaging you know it's obviously not john karabi and it's, it's not been singing i don't know it, it, the, the whole album it just seems like they were just on like this like self-destruct mode in a way because for god's sake i don't know if you guys got the cd that i got I mean, granted, mine's a promo copy, right? Um, yeah, we had, you know, the, the outside. Mine would have been too. Which it would have been, right? So you got, you know, the, you know, the front cover, but then you look on the back side, the, you know, the song order, the song titles are upside down, you know, completely opposite of the, of the thing. And then you go to the to the um, the liner notes; they're all backwards. It reads, you know, from right to left, and <laughs> it's almost like if they're just trying to. Just do off. things differently just for the, you know, the sake of being different in a way. Uh, it, to me, that, that you know, if, if that's your approach to an album, then you're going down the wrong path. You know, you guys, there's, there's no focus there. But for this song, yeah, definitely the riff is great. Um, to me, there's too many sound effects on, on the record. You've got like, you know, the Bob Ezrin, God, God of Thunder, you know, kids uh, voice yeah. and stuff, you know, which is, is cool. But, you know, I mean, a good song is a good song and, you know, sound effects aren't going to make it any better, or, you know, in my opinion. And the lyrics, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, Dave will get more into the lyric stuff, but it's almost like it's token Motley Crue lyrics. You know, they're just like saying things like, I got to find this on some drugs. Like, you know, really that's, you know, the line that you want to put on the opening song of the album. You know, like you have something better. You know, it's almost like there's like kind of phoning it in say, okay, if you think we're a joke, then here we are. Well, that's what it feels like he's saying is he's sort of like yeah. just listing. It's like that, uh, that's Queens of the Stone Age album or whatever, where he's just like cocaine, drugs, oh, you know what I mean? Yeah. And that that's written as a, or whatever. I, I can barely remember the song, but there, he did that because he was sick of people calling him Stoner Rock. So he was like, I'm going to do this as <laughs> much as I can, you know what I mean? To like get in your face about it. And then of course it becomes a hit. Um, but so that's what this song feels like to me. Like he's sort of doing it to like, just 
grab people's attention. You know what I mean? Or say, this is what we, you know, this is what you yeah, say we almost, are. Yeah, it's almost like trying to, you know, just being crass for the sake of, of being crass, but not yeah. really mm-hmm. holding up to it in a way. Um, but also to, you know, I mentioned earlier that this is, you know, to me, it sounds like a disjointed record. I was, you know, reading the liner notes, you know, they're almost, when you go from song to song, each song has been mixed by a different person. There's been so many sort of, you know, you know, cooks, you know, working on, on the stew in a way. So it's no wonder the thing sounds disjointed because, you know, almost from song to song, there was somebody else that was, that was mixing each song. It, it's to me, this, I don't know. This, I, don't know. I, I, I liked it at first just because it was, you know, heady energy, but it, it, it's not wearing well on me now, you know. Yeah, I mean, there is something clever about Nikki using the phrase, I've got to find myself in terms and and playing upon that pun um in in terms of like i've got to find become self-actualized and find myself in a kind of an eastern spiritual sort of way and then turning that on its head and turning it into a joke and i've got to find myself some drugs and love and you know whatever um but is it a great song i i don't think so um you know, it feels a little half-baked, the, the whole thing about uh, I'm a tough motherfucker, ain't no one tougher. I mean, I'm sure that these guys are tough guys, relatively speaking, for musicians. But at the same time, you know, the, the toughest guys that I've known, and I've known a couple over the course of my life, don't go around talking about how tough they are. And unfortunately, those are the guys that usually end up dead or in jail. But you know, like, it's yeah. a little it's a little forced sounding. Like if you've got to tell people how tough you are, are you still that tough? I don't know. It, it yeah. reminds me that wasn't there that challenge between uh, Vince Neil and, and Axl Rose where they were supposed to like meet at Yes, yes, and Vince said yeah. you. Ch- uh, they they were talking about it in terms of you know you choose the weapons, guns, knives. I don't care. I'll be there. And yeah, that was all a bit of kayfabe as well. I think. Yeah. Um, so then we move on to the first single, "Afraid." Um. This is the one that really sounds like the Smashing Pumpkins to me. Um, you know, they're, they're uh, and, and I don't, I mean, it just doesn't stand out to me as a song. There's nothing I could pick out and say, well, what about this? There was nothing really in there. Um, the song is, you know, it's Motley Crue telling me to live my life. And I don't really care that Motley Crue is telling me that. And it's not, again, it's not a, it's a crafted song. You know what I mean? But it sounds, again, it sounds like the Smashing Pumpkins or Collective Soul. Um, and again, the vocals sound weird. It doesn't really sound like Vince. You know what I mean? Um, and I, you know, that's about it. That's all, it sounds like 90s alternative is what I wrote. It sounds exactly like it should be on some alternative radio station at that time, which is funny because it never, this song never cracked any radio station. I don't think it was played anywhere. You know, maybe KNAC or whatever, but you know what I mean? Like, I don't think there it was ever added. I think the X maybe played it, you know, late night or something like that, but I don't, I got nothing. So that's all I can really say about it. Yeah, John, I don't even know if, uh, you know, because obviously at the time I was in Pittsburgh, I don't remember WDBE playing this song, uh, but I do know that there was some WDBE staff, I think the program director 
uh, did some you know, sort of pre-show announcements when, they, when when Motley played on on this tour in Pittsburgh, and she came out on stage and was you know announcing new shows that were coming to town, James Taylor, whatever, who was who, you know. And then, but behind them, or behind you know the, the DV staff, you know, on the screen was like just just this blatant porno happening <laughs> on on the screen. It was like you know there here's you know this woman up there trying to do some announcements like hey we got some concerts coming up and da, 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 da. oh you know by the way behind me is you know porn. Hardcore porn. I thought, what the hell is going? On? It was just a weird thing. But yeah, I, I heard, heard about that. I heard that was a big deal in Pittsburgh at the time because I remember yeah. like that made the paper and people were like, that breaks all sorts of obscenity things. And yeah, again, you know, you know, crass for the sake of just being crass. I mean, you know, this is an all ages show. You know, when you're showing, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not a saint, I'm not a sinner, but you know, hey, this, you know, this, that happened. But yeah, point being, I don't remember this song being played on the radio in Pittsburgh at all. Yeah. Um, but you know, on, in terms of the song itself, on the interesting, I'll say, and the positive side, um, I find that the opening bass uh, riff in the sound reminds me of King's X, mm. okay. uh, which is which kind of makes sense too because I, I just realized now that King's X are one of the opening bands that were on the, the self-titled Amati Crew album, uh, the album with, with uh, John Karabi. So, you know, whether that was an influence, I don't know. But it, I hear like almost like that twelve-string bass, you know, with a chorus on it in, in the intro. It's cool. Um, you know, I think it's, um, I've read something too, where supposedly some of the guys from Cheap Trick uh, had done some backing vocals. On yeah, I heard that too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they did. I don't know. You know, and in a way, the, the verse kind of sounds like, uh, you know, like a Dream Police era, you know, a Cheap Trick melody mm. in the verse. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I, you know, it does my new discovery um, in, in terms of that. Uh, but then also the, the chorus, um, you know, reminds me of uh, something that Space Hog would have done, you know, which is a band that was obviously out you know, before this, this album came out. Wow. Um, so that's whether or not those are direct influences, but you know, to me, I, I totally use Space Hog <laughs> yeah. on the chorus. Yeah, I remember that band. You know? Yeah. Uh, it, it's a catchy melody, and, and Space Hog was a good band. They were good players. Um, you know, but over, it, it's really just, it, again, it just doesn't sound like, you know, if you were going to try to regain the audience that you lost on the self-titled album, you know, and this was the new Motley Crue album, this is the big reunion, and we're going to go in this direction and you're chasing trends, you sound dated already, right out of the starting gate. You know? It's mm -hmm. not going to win back that many fans. And granted, the show was well attended that I saw. I mean, you know, it wasn't like seeing uh, Kiss on the Revenge tour in Pittsburgh. I mean, there were a lot more people at the Motley show than there were you know, the Kiss Revenge show tour. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's, I don't know, it's, it's, it's I mean, for God's sakes, you know, it, it's, if you think the, the Karabi album wasn't the Motley Crew album that you want to be, you know, you know the, the return to crew in a way this you know you're definitely going to send people in a different direction man. it's it's a hard sell it, it doesn't sound like motley crew that we're so familiar with and that we expect and want yeah um this song i mean it's interesting because there is kind of a thematic concept to this album between this song and generation swine which in some ways, this the lyrical content of the song reminds me of the current intergenerational conflict between the boomers and the millennials, right? Where, oh, you kids are spoiled, you with your participation trophies and, you know, helicopter parents, you are afraid to go out and take risks and live your life. And, you know, so it's almost like a song written by a boomer criticizing the... Uh, the new generation's shyness and approach to life um, and timidness, I guess, which, you know, is that really the kind of thing you want to be hearing from a rock band, them 
criticizing how you're trying to live your life? I don't, I don't know. Um, also, right. it's really easy for a guy who's a rich, successful, famous rock star to sit up on his pedestal and say, hey, you ought to take more chances in your life. Um, you know, when he's in a position where he really doesn't have to take any chances, um, you know, so <laughs> uh, anyhow, it's OK. I, I kind of like it, but uh, it, it's not great. <clears throat> Flush. Uh, again, I write here again, 90s alternate alternative, smashing pumpkins, something about suicide. Lyrics aren't clear enough. Um, I didn't, I don't like it. <laughs> you know what I mean? It just didn't grab it for me. Again, the, the, the vocals are just weird. Who's singing on this? Is this, this is Vince, right? But this is written by Karabi. Yeah. And we should mention too, that in between the lawsuits between Motley and Karabi, Karabi claimed that he wrote music for most of the songs on this album. He says 80%. He got credit for two of them, and I think they've right. even taken his name off of them in later printings of this album. So wow. I don't know. Okay. Um, yeah, so your thoughts on, on Flush, Mike? Um. It's almost like they're trying to be Nine Inch Nails in a way, you know. Um, but yeah, I also hear in the verse it's it's a very uh, Beatles uh, cheap trick approach uh, to writing. Um, I have the same questions about who's singing. Is it is it really Vince singing the verse? I can't tell who it is. Um, you know, in the last thing, you know, the chorus again reminds me of something that uh, Karabi, you know, obviously he, he was a co-writer in the song. This this sounds like something that would have also been on you know the Union record that he did you know, with, with Bruce Kulick in a way in terms of the, the chorus. Mm -hmm. And and also too, we mentioned before, you know, the sort of lack of the classic Mick Mars guitar stuff. I mean, it's it's the guitar solo in the song is essentially a, a noise solo. You know, I miss that that clack that, that sorry that classic Mick you know solo where it's like it's loud, it's up front in the mix. You know, it's bluesy, it's got some soul. You know, and, and we're not getting any of that. So, you know, I mean, if you want to say it's a, a combo of Nine Inch Nails and Beatles and Cheap Trick, you know, with a lack of a guitar solo, I mean, that, that's what you got. It's you know, it doesn't stand up in, in terms of. You know, the rest of their catalog for sure. No, I think this is the first truly terrible song on the album. I mean, which I, <laughs> I hate to say because I, you know, I love Motley Crue and, but yeah. it just, yeah, it's not good. Um, no. Generation Swine. Yeah, I agree with what you said. It's, uh, what I put here like space things. Um, Thought, uh, I, I, it uses a lot of references to things in space. I, I actually thought it would be more lyrically interesting because I listened to it on a walk um, and thought, oh, this sounds kind of neat. And then I went back and I read the lyrics and I was like, this doesn't make any fucking sense. This doesn't, it's not, the song's not focused at all. It has no, even though it's the name of the album and it, mm -hmm. uh, it seems to be another thing about, you know, we're just as bad as you are. Um, but I, I don't know. But I mean, I don't know. Like I, it, it, um, I j it, j it just doesn't do anything for me. You know what I mean? It sounds kind of generic. Nothing stands out to me about it. Well, for the record, I meant the last song was terrible. I wasn't trying to say this song is necessarily terrible. No, 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 no. <laughs> I hear you. I just, I, I just wish this song had more, 
like punch to it because I expected it to be, it's a great phrase, generation swine, you know what I mean? And, and the idea that, you know, that you're a group of your pigs, you know, your whole generation is just does nothing but be lazy and wallow in the mud and, you know, take advantage and, you know, that kind of stuff. But um, when I went through the lyrics, when I was listening to the song, it, it didn't say what I wanted it to say, I guess is the only way that I can put it. So I, I it doesn't, didn't grab me. Mike. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, basically in their version of a, of a punk rock tune, you know, it sounds very Sex Pistols to me, um, you know, but then again, you know, I, I like Motley Crue for sounding like, sounding like Motley Crue. I don't want them to, you know, to sound like some other, some other genre, if you will, you know, or chase trends in a way, or, you know, do something that, you know, they're above, um, you know, but. Well, that's it, what's good. Kind of, yeah. It has energy to it, but, you know, then I mean, that's, that's the, the big, you know, the, the biggest praise I can give it at this point, because it really just, I mean, yeah, again, the title is interesting, and it's almost like they're trying to, you know, say, you know, here we are, we are, you know, the generation swine, and you know, we're all together in this. But I don't know. It's almost like you're insulting the audience and saying, okay, well, we insulted you, but you know, we're still together because of it. it it's it's a weird concept to me, and, and, and it's you know really just them doing a version of a punk rock song, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah. So the title apparently Vince actually came up with is from a Hunter S. Thompson book. Uh, which we, he's referring to the 80s and, uh, you know, the power players of the 80s, of which arguably Motley Crue were, um, as being just selfish, decadent, uh, irredeemable swine and generation <laughs> swine. Um, I think there's some interesting stuff happening musically. It's almost, there is kind of like a vaudevillian music hall kind of musical accompaniment thing happening that's almost Alice Cooper-ish in a way, um, where it's like a, a heavy metal show tune. Um, but I agree, you want there to be some more substance other than the fact that we're decadent, selfish rock pigs, because your response is, so what? I mean, you want you want there to be something like yes we were decadent and selfish but hey we had the guts to go out and live our dreams or yes we were decadent and selfish but hey we had the guts to tell the truth about life as we saw it that or, is exactly what's something, missing from it. yes something uh -huh. to to justify it because yeah if all you've got to say is yeah i'm a big selfish pig it's like okay, I can't really, there's not much to chew on or get behind there in terms of the song. So, okay. No, it, you know, funny, it, it, this might even bring up a, a, a good point. It's almost as if like you had like a Motley Crue tribute band, you know, record a Motley Crue album in a way, you know, and you know, it's almost like the, the classic 78, you know, stuff, you know, that sounds like Kiss, but isn't Kiss, you know, it, it's fun to listen to and it kind of sounds like Kiss and, but at the same time, it's almost like it's funny <laughs> to, to hear it. And it's it, again, it's, it's token Motley Crue in a way. They're, they're saying these things, but I don't really believe in, in what they're saying. They're, they're not selling it to me in a way. What, what I'm noticing is that we are not really talking about the music a lot. Um, we're talking more about lyrical, you know what I mean? Like normally Mike has a lot more stuff to say about what they're doing musically on the songs or whatever. Um, or even I'll have something to add to it. And we're, we're all three of us are sort of just, is that because it's musically weak? You know what I mean? Is there something like totally lacking in the album itself? You know? Yes. Cause I agree with, I agree with Mike. I agree that, yeah, yeah it's like a, it's like a tribute band, but then they didn't even get the guy that sings like Vince Neil to sing. 
you know what I mean? Like they borrowed him from the Foghat tribute band or whatever. Yeah, it, it's also a transitional period for the band because you know it half you know a lot of this stuff was written you know with John Karabi and I think what I've read online too supposedly you know a lot of this stuff was initially recorded with Bob Rock producing. Yeah. You know, and that kind of pokes through on certain songs for sure. Like some of these songs you listen to and go, okay, that could have been on the self-titled album that was mm-hmm. on, the, on the prior record. Um, but I think, you know, I, we talked about it last week, the, the production on the self-titled record is, is so produced and there's so much to delve into. And then you get this and it's almost like, you know, there's nothing I hate more than, I shouldn't say hate. I'll just, there's nothing more annoying than, you know, people going down the route of like, you know, the anti-production, like, okay, we're going to, you know, just, use sounds that don't sound like us, if it's gonna be samples or loops or industrial type sounds or you know, something just to not sound like you know, a rock band, you know, and do the anti-solo, like, we're to make a noise solo, you know? No, it, you, as soon as you release that, it's dated, as soon as it comes out. It, that, that's a production technique that obviously is, it was used around the time, but I don't know, you gotta be ahead of, the, ahead of the trends rather than, you know, kind of chasing them. And I don't, it, Oh, I agree. There's nothing. There's nothing really to sink your teeth into musically, other than you could say there are some cool riffs here. But I'm, you know, I'm looking for tone. I'm looking for, you know, good sounds. You know, something that you know. Again, you know, you don't often see people saying, "I like industrial music and I like soul music." You know, they're they're completely, you know, separate. You know, to me, there is this. The heavy groove is not there in this record, and um, you know that soul that they that they do have. That they're capable of doing just doesn't come across. And I don't know if it was, you know, in their songwriting or if it was a production or both. I don't know. It reminds me of that scene in the Metallica movie, Some Kind of Monster, where James Hetfield is trying to sell <laughs> Kirk Hammett on the idea that maybe this album shouldn't have any guitar solos, so it doesn't sound yeah. dated. And his response is, well, What's going to sound more dated when somebody hears this album 10 years from now and all of our other albums have guitar solos, but this one doesn't? Doesn't that seem like we're just chasing a trend here? Like, you know? mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I love, again, I would love to say that there are things on, on this record that are, that are really, you know, could be inspired by, but, I, you know, again, it, it's just, it's got energy. There's no question about that, but, you know, does it have, the depth that the prior, the prior record did, you don't know. Um, and is there a heavy groove? No. Yeah. Okay. It's, yeah. Confessions. Uh, sounds like they're trying, or I'm assuming Nikki wrote the lyrics to this because, again, it's got the sort of religious overtones, but it's a weaker version of all of his other songs, um, you know, like Wild Side and stuff like that that take, you know, religious themes and sort of twist them. This is like a weaker version of all of that. It's, you know what I mean? And, the, and the, lyrically, it doesn't stand out. It does have a nice um, melody. You know what I mean? Like I like the the vocal line or whatever. Um, again, I wrote down, it sounds like the Smashing Pumpkins, but that's, you know, that's my feeling on it. Just It, it just doesn't feel like it's finished. I want to say this seems like a song in which Tommy Lee wrote the lyrics. Because oh really? Yeah, because there are lyrics here where it sounds like he's just using the sound of words without particular attention to the meaning. I mean, time Mm -hmm. for a prayer, physical, I'm miserable. 
okay, those are words, but you know yeah. they fill space <laughs> and they they take up certain amounts of syllables in the melody line. But do they really mean anything? I don't think Nikki's that sloppy of a songwriter. So I okay. So this is by okay, and that makes more sense because it's it's a kind of a dumb song. Yeah, the music is uh, Tommy and and. Uh... And Nick, and the lyrics are all Tommy Lee. Yeah. Okay. Does he sing it? I think he does. Yeah. I think, yeah, there's certain parts he sings for sure. I think he definitely does the B lines in the chorus, like the going down and that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, they, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. He might be singing you know, more stuff than you know, the B lines in the chorus. But it, again, it's hard to tell. Yeah. It's such a, it's such a mash of the vocals on this album. Who the hell's singing? I'm like, I, I hear some stuff where it sounds like Karabi, you know, and I assume that they yeah, erased yeah, everything, yeah. but, but I don't know. Um, they steal the hook from Warren Zevon's Werewolves of London, right? The ah, uh, ooh, you know, oh, yeah. that's where they came from. Thank you. I was wondering. Yeah, where yeah, yeah, yeah. Good All point. Right. Yeah, but again, it's just not a good song. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's just. I wish it was. Yeah. All right. Moving on. This was an, uh, another single from the album, Beauty. Now this is sung by uh, Tommy Lee. No, right? this one it's is written by sung by Vince, I think. Although it's hard to tell who's singing the low parts. That could be. Yeah. Why did I think this had something well, to do with Tommy uh, Lee? No, according to the, the liner notes, um, it, it reads, you know, beauty and uh, head vocals are, are by Tommy Lee. Okay. So I think he's doing the the low stuff in the chorus. Okay. Okay. He meaning, you know, Tom. Right. Well, it's uh, it's actually. I mean, it's about a prostitute. Um, and what did I say here? I said it's got nice. Uh, geez, I, the sun's going down. I like the drum part in it. Um, and it's got some weird grunting in it in terms of vocals or whatever. Or like almost not even weird. I, I never mind. I don't even know why I wrote that. That might be a reference to what the music sounds like to me. Um, but I didn't, you know, again, uh, didn't grab me. I mean, you know, it sounds like sort of a classic Motley Crue song about like a bad girl or a prostitute or whatever that winds up getting them thrown in jail or something like that. It was kind of actually the closest thing to a well put together song. Um, and the drums work in it, but, uh, I'm assuming then. Okay, so I'm assuming, yeah, that it is Tommy Lee that's singing it, or at least wrote it. No, I think Nikki wrote it. Vince is definitely singing some of it. Okay, well then, who the fuck knows? I don't know. <laughs> it, whatever, I I don't know. Like I'm noticing that I'm taking less and less notes as we. Can. Well, but, <laughs> the fact that we have to fight to hear little bits yeah. of Vince in the single for the album that's supposed to be the big reunion album, mm -hmm. you know, that, that, that what they were missing was Vince just shows like how disjointed this whole thing is. Yeah. Yeah. Agree. Sorry, yeah. Mike, what do you think about it? Oh, sorry. Yeah. You know, I, I thought the, the, the original, uh, the, the intro riff was cool until today. I realized that it reminds me of the, the song by the fine young Kennels that uh, drive me crazy song. Da -da -da -da. You know, which is you know not an uncommon riff, but you know to me it it's, it sounds like the same key. You know, whatever. Mm. Um, you know, I, I think lyrically, it this this could have been on any other you know Motley Crue record you know prior for sure in terms of lyric content. It's probably something that's is closer to 
uh, the classic, you know, Motley feel when it comes to, you know, uh, you know songwriting you know, with lyrics and stuff. And, and the riff is cool. And they, they throw, throw some three you know, questionable um, lines in, that, you know, obviously attention grabbers, you know, in terms of the lyrics. But, you know, it, it's, int it's interesting. It's kind of, you know, jarring in a way, too, to hear some of the things that they say. But, uh, you know, I, it's definitely one of the better songs on the record and, and, and much needed in that case. Yeah, I think this is the one song in which they successfully sort of incorporate the the sampling stuff that Scott Humphrey contributes and he gets songwriting credit. I think that the kind of back and forth between the guitar riff and the sampling stuff works as a call and response kind of thing. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, lyrically, I think there's some interesting stuff going on. She's an HIV VIP. Um, and even uh, her her head got her off her feet, her head got her off the streets. You know, there's probably my favorite song on the album. Like if, if they pulled this one out live, I'd, I'd probably crack a half a smile, but. You know. <laughs> <laughs> half a, only half though. It, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think it, it works about as well as any other song works on, on this record much better than the next song which is somehow got a co-write by brian adams yeah i was wondering about that too that i noticed who's a great songwriter yeah because um, but even he cannot save this song this is glitter it sounds like they're trying to write a 90s new wave hit song uh you know what i mean like let's say you know keyboard uh it just it's a terrible song it's uh, the, you know what i mean i mean it seems like they're trying to write something that isn't them at all you know um so yeah it sounds like an ode to a professional wrestler so yeah i got nothing more for it i mean i know isn't what yeah it's just i don't know yeah yeah it's i mean i you know i hate to, to speak about you know you want to call them our idols, you know, uh, in this way. But it, this is pop crap. You know, this is awful. Um, you know, in the intro, totally reminds me of uh, what was that band, Cutting Crew? Yes. They had that song, you just got your tonight. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, like, dude. But, you know, <laughs> that, that was like 87. This is uh, 97. You know? I know. It's, yeah. What were they thinking? I don't know. You know, again, yeah, with, with that synthesizer sound in the verse and, you know, I'm sorry. The last thing I want to see from my idols is, you know, these guys professing their love for their, you know, supermodel, you know, playboy, playmate, you know, blonde, you know, plastic injected, you know, wives, you know, right, like, yeah. really, you know, I'm, I want like, you know, I mean, as much as I hated the song, I think like, she goes down or, you know, we need to love her tonight. You know, that's the Motley Crue that I expect. You know, I don't, I don't want to see like this heartfelt, heartfelt, you know, sentimental BS that they're trying to sell us on. This, does not sound like a Motley Crue song at all. No, no not at all. And I, I remember seeing it live and it sounded terrible live. I mean, it sounded even worse live than it does on the record and it doesn't sound good on the record. I mean, it it um, it um it's just like this whiny, pathetic ode to like a stripper or something, right? I mean, from the guys yeah. that were talking about yeah. like, you know, we knew they'd add gasoline if they had the time. I mean, who, who were too young to fall in love, and yet now they're like strung out on some. Man, it's just bad. It's just bad, and it's it's got no energy to it whatsoever. Right, it's it, dead. It sits yeah. there like a rock. 
and it i mean it, the, the energy level of the album drops to like is the patient still alive you know and yeah and then as if to try to bring it back we get anybody out there which i said sounds like i mean because it opens with that line about i want to be your dog i immediately thought of the you know iggy and the stooges or whatever and it's yeah. got that sort of like it's it's like a punk rock or almost rockabilly song g and you know it's, it's like they're aping gnr you know what i mean it's got that sort of like 90s raw mm. sort of punk sound but a little bit of gnr mm. in there um and it looks like they're sort of name checking uh you know the um you know i mean the opening line is is the famous uh, stooges line you know what i mean so you can't you know are they paying homage or are they just ripping them off so i don't know so yeah i mean i, I actually kind of like it because it at least gets a little more energetic but it still doesn't do much for me no i mean it, it, it's again you know they're capable of writing so many better songs you know, than something like this and then you know lyrically i mean where does it go you know looking for a lover you know can you tell me is there, is there anybody out there it, it, again it's almost like somebody somebody else wrote these lyrics for them you know they, they write they're so great at writing you know catchy lyrics and, and lyrics that you can sink your teeth into and think about but it just seems so one-dimensional yeah you know it's almost like grade school lyrics like any kid in grade school could write lyrics better than this yeah it seems like a total throwaway it seems like they said, hey, Glitter's a really slow, low-energy song. We need a fast song to wake people back up, and let's just do a two-minute punk song, you know, and, yeah. and write it in two minutes, and then we can say, hey, we wrote that song in two minutes. But it sounds like it. It sounds like a sketch of a song, like a demo. That Yeah, you know, exactly. Yes, it sounds like a demo. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I think Pink Floyd did a lot better, you know, with you know, this sort of lyric you know, on, on the wall record because, you know, obviously, you know, you get to the point in the show with Pink Floyd and the wall and the, the wall is built and they're like, is there anybody out there? You know, that that's, that's it. That's a lyric that has, you know, some yeah, yeah. substance to it. But in this case, it's just, it's just, you know, look, I'm looking for lovers. Is there any, anybody out there? Obviously there is, you know, if you <laughs> Not choose to go down that yeah, yeah. 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 It's, yeah. It, I don't know. It, yeah. Sorry. I'll stop. <laughs> <laughs> I think we have might have we might have found a record that I don't like. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Let us pray. Okay, I called it the most Motley Crue sounded Motley Crue uh, song on here. Um, you know, sort of the I don't know, sort of Motley Crue anarchy. But again, it just it rings kind of false to me. You know what I mean? Like the the riff isn't should be heavier or should be i don't know more interesting well the and riff just... steals the hook from that ministry song right that yeah yeah. Thank yeah. You. <laughs> yeah i thought it was i thought it was white zombie no it's definitely ministry Thank yeah you. it's ministry white right i i wish there was more to it it just seems like they're like but lyrically in the way it's delivered it comes across like it's you know this is the bare bones of a former motley Crue song just done you know industrial style so, Mike, uh, um, I, this is, I'm, I guess I should say, it's probably my favorite song on the record, only because of the production. I hear a lot of, you know, Bob Rock production on the, on this track. Um, you know, it sounds like something that could have been on the, the self-titled record that came out prior. Um, you know, only because the, in terms of the production, like the, the drums are fuller compared to the rest of the record. You know, the drums are kind of buried, which is not what you expect from Motley Crue. The guitars are all there. Um, you know, the mix is you know, sort of layered, but not too dense, you know, it cuts through, um, you know, I, I like, you know, I think 
I like this song. I think it easily could have been on, on the prior uh, album, which was you know, the self-titled album. It's probably one of the better songs on the record, in my opinion. Yeah, I think it's lyrically stronger than it is musically, but I, I think there's some interesting stuff happening musically, too. Um, the pun, let us pray, P-R-E-Y, is kind of clever. I mean, it's almost like a yeah. sister song to Shout at the Devil in terms of, or even Unholy by Kiss, right? Talking all about mm -hmm. uh, the work of the devil and evil in the world. Um, some of the references are, are interesting um, in terms of kill and eat your neighbors, gas a subway in Japan. There was mm -hmm. a um, Japanese cult that at the time had gassed, um, released sarin gas in the subways in Japan and killed people and could have potentially killed thousands of people. Um, and there, you know, this was sort of the era of Jeffrey Dahmer, but also there was a guy in Japan who was like a cannibal and got off on being a cannibal for various weird reasons but he became kind of a de facto celebrity in japan which is really weird and twisted and horrible but um interesting you know some some of the specific references to to evil in this world i think are are interesting and and definitely idiosyncratic in a way that only nikki six ever is so for that for that reason it's one of my favorite songs on the record oh boy rocket ship it's, well, it sounds like he did an ode to uh, Ace Frehley. You know what I mean? I mean, it's 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 a sketch of a song, and it, it I, you know, there's 13 songs on this album. I think they could have gone with 12. Like they didn't really need to have this song on here. It's it's um, it's Nikki singing, right? Yeah, sort of. Yeah, and it's not really that great vocally, and it seems to be you know sort of. I took it as like I I thought it was like it's almost like an Ace Frehley song. You know what I mean? Like it'd be something Ace would write and then write a lot better um, if he's and he would spend more time with it. I hear, tr I think he's going for more of a Bowie kind of thing. Mm. Uh, okay. Like a psychedelic, yeah, I, I hear you. Sort of like a 60s, late 60s psychedelia kind of deal. Yeah, okay. I'll buy that. I, I just the whole space thing got me on Ace. That's all. <laughs> Mike? Yeah, no, I, I agree, John. It, for sure, Ace could have done a better job with, you know, uh, just writing something, you know, with, with the song that has this, this title. Um, you know, but the only cool things that I that my takeaways are, you know, would be uh, the sort of sound effects at the, at the intro you know, before they really get into the the playing. That reminds me of uh, Unforgettable Fire era U2, you know, that's yeah. where, you know, Brian and Daniel Lenoir kind of, you know, production, which is cool. But then once it gets into it, Again, it, it doesn't sound like Motley Crue. I mean, it's, you know, sure the acoustic guitar kind of in the verse sounds like um, Guns N' Roses' Patience. Yeah, but that was done, you know, obviously years prior, so we don't need to hear that again. And again, it's just kind of like, it just, it, it's exhausting in a way. Like, it's uninteresting to hear this song. Like, you just want to go, all right, you know, next, done. Yeah, the mix is terrible. And I think it's because Nikki had no confidence in his vocals because they're not very good. And so it's just a matter of let's just bury everything and reverb and it just becomes a wash. 
And it reminds me of, you know, when you go see a band and they do this thing where they're like, hey, check this out. This is cool. Our bass player is going to play the drums and the guitar player is going to sing. And, you know, where everybody take one step to the left and show how versatile and cool musicians we can be, you know. And and yeah, you know, the bass player can hold a simple beat and whatnot, but like are you really showcasing like the, the things that the people in the band are really most talented at by having Nikki and Tommy sing songs? I mean, they're not really vocalists. So, you know, it just, just seemed ill-advised. Yeah. And, and, you know, it brings up an interesting point because, you know, who was sort of, you know, driving that bus in a way, like who said, okay, you know, you've got a song idea, then you should probably sing it. You know, I, I don't really ever see, you know, see Motley Crue sitting around going, okay, I'm, I got this song and I want to sing it, you know, and, and whether that be, you know, Nikki or, or Tommy or whoever, you know, and obviously, you know, Mick, Mick's the only cool one, in my opinion, on this record. He's like, you know what, fine, you want to make this record, we're going to do it. I'm not going to be singing any songs, you know, I'm just going to do what I do. <laughs> right, and, yeah. You know, I'll get a paycheck and, you know, this will all work out. But, you know, Mick's the only smart one, the only cool one when it comes to this record, because, you know, for God's sake, if this is a reunion of sorts, and you want to, you know, this is, you know, Electra's sort of like, okay, please, you know, let, let us rescue this you know, sinking ship. Okay, and then all of a sudden, you know, we're going to go down the path of, you know, trends and following trends and everybody that, you know, the right song is going to have a chance to sing songs on the record. They didn't even build it that way. They just build it as like Motley Crue with Vince again, and that's it. But then you listen to it, it doesn't sound like it's not Vince. You're not, you're not getting what's on, you know, on, on you know. And then again, on the, on the front cover, you don't even see their faces. It's a bunch of pigmen. Yes. So, you know, it's almost like a, it's almost like a joke in a way like they thought okay you know everything's printed backwards you don't see our picture on the front and you know everything's printed upside it's just it's a mess it's almost like it was they were set for like self-destruct in a way like they knew it wasn't going to work and they just said fine this is what it is you know because really again back to that you know kiss you know 79 80 era uh, of the band where it's like everybody had their own stamp on the record but that's not really what motley crew is about no and that's a bold move to make when you're a band like motley crew and you expect a certain thing and you didn't get that on the self-titled album because you got John Karabi in a, in a different musical approach. But if you're looking for, you know, Theater of Pain, Shout Out the Devil, Dr. Feelgood, you're not going to get that. It, it's nowhere on this record. There's a big chance, and, you know, almost a, a big experiment and probably you know, a big mistake in a lot of ways. A rat like me. I didn't even take any notes on this. <laughs> um, I, I said, like, literally, I just, like... <laughs> I, it sounds like the Smashing Pumpkins, like almost exactly like the Smashing Pumpkins is the only thing I wrote about it. And that's uh, that's it. I like the idea of a rat like me. You know what I mean? I'm a bad dude. Nothing musically stands out. It's kind of like a washy kind of vibe to it. Washy is not even the right word, but it, it just, you know, it just sounds like a 90s alternative rock song. That's it, you know? So, no, there's uh, that's all I got. Mike, go ahead. Yeah, I mean... I've mentioned that a lot, just about every other song on this record is mixed by somebody different. Like, you know, they do three mixed by some guy and others mixed by some other. This one doesn't list anybody. It's, it's mixed. So, <laughs> mixed by Alan Smithy. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. yeah. 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 The song mixed itself. I mean, a little bit of production. <laughs> so, if a song mixes itself, does it cease to be a song? <laughs> right. Yeah. Does anybody, does anybody hear it? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, no, I mean, the verse kind of sounds like something that would have been the self-titled record, but then when it comes to the chorus, the bottom drops out, and all they do is add some more sound effects, 
you know, when you get to the solo, we, okay, we, we kind of hear some guitar soloing now, but it's like a whammy effect. Right, yeah, effect. yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but yeah. No, I mean, you know, I'm trying to find things that, you know, that are positive and I just can't find them. Yeah. In this record. And plus, it's just not an inspirational message. Uh, you know, a rat like me won't save the world. Okay. Won't save the world. Well, yeah, that's fine. And I wasn't necessarily expecting you to, but like, I mean, just talking about how you have no redeemable qualities whatsoever is not that inspiring, especially because we went from the album before where they're talking about you've never understood the pride inside of me to you know they reject that and suddenly they're full of self-loathing and self-doubt and self-hatred and it's just it's exhausting to have to listen to that from these guys um shout at the devil 97 uh industrial motley crew but it, it's good i mean i like the song i like how, what they did to it it sounds um it definitely sounds updated, more produced for, you know what I mean? It sounds like it's brought into age. Should they have done it? I don't really understand. I guess the radio uh, record company pushed to do this or something. Um, Cause I know that like the story that I heard was that yeah. a fan actually did this and they heard it and they liked it. And I'm not sure if they just took his mix or if they actually recreated essentially what he had done to make it studio quality, but that is the origin of this. Some fan did a remix. Oh. Oh, okay, because I also read that the record company, in argument to saying that they were promoting the album, said we paid a whole crap ton of money for you to play this song at the American Music Awards yeah. or something like that. Mm -hmm. And um, so I would have thought, you know, which makes a lot of sense because it's probably one of their. Well, I guess looks that kill is their the biggest selling. Well, no, 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 never mind. At this point, it would have been something from Doctor Field. It would have been Home Sweet Home or something. Would have been bigger at that point. Um, so an interesting, um, interesting take on it. It's actually, you know, uh, I. It's interesting when bands revisit songs. Usually, it's kind of stupid uh, when they re-record stuff, or it just they. I know that. Um, Fugazi did that on their first EPs. They re-recorded a song that they did on their first album. They recorded it again on their second album. Um, and you could tell that it was, you know, it was definitely better. You know, it was, and they, they seemed to take more pride in it or whatever. Whereas this, and this one seems like the last grab to grab people's attention because you'll, the, you know, to hold on to the old fans and say, you liked us then, you'll still like us now, because look look at what we did. We took this song that you love and updated it for, you know, the 90s. So I liked it. I mean, it, it's my favorite song on the album, but of course, it's not from this album. Right. <laughs> Mike? Yeah, I liked it at the time because, again, it had energy and it was, it was different and it was, you know, current you know, for the, the times you want to call it, you know, an update in a way. But uh, now I look back on it, you know, it's just, sounding heavy and, and hip and it sounds dated at this point it's almost unnecessary i mean the original is so good you know you're not going to win over you know the motley crew fans that you lost on the self-titled album and self-titled album tour by doing you know an updated version of this and trying to make them sound like you know, they wrote this song in 1983 but they really you know wrote it in 1997 whatever you know what I mean? it's 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 not an improvement, you know, it's, 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 a, it's, an, it's like an experiment in a way. And I don't know. I mean, it's, 
it's it's unnecessary you know for god's sakes you know if you're gonna again if you're an artist and you have to revisit songs that you've you know recorded in the past and try to put a different spin on it then you're, you're clutching at straws you know yeah i mean clearly that's yeah. the exact same vince neil vocal track from shout at the devil uh wow I think every nuance of his vocal is exactly the same and they, they rearranged it. Um, It's to me, almost in the same way that smoke the sky leaps off of the last Mm -hmm. album as being 10 times the energy as the rest of the album. This song Mm -hmm. like is 10 times the energy and 10 times the song as anything else on this album. But it Mm -hmm. just goes to show like how lacking the rest of the album is that they can, take this song and streamline it and energize it a bit and it sounds so great but they're not Mm -hmm. writing songs of this caliber anywhere else on this album um Mm -hmm. you know they started around this period they were playing this version of the song live for a while for Mm -hmm. several tours um and now i think they've gone back to just playing the original which you know, as you say, there's nothing wrong with the original. So prob- right, yeah. probably better. Um, last song, Brandon. Oh, oh. <laughs> I want to like it. I do, because it's like, but I mean, it sounds so, it sounds like a mewling kitten in a in a bag. You know what I mean? Like, it just like, I mean, I understand it's for, it's Tommy Lee for his kid, right? And he's singing it, right? Yep. Um, that I, that I could tell, but it's just, it's just terrible. It's like, why not write a song? Of, I don't know these people and writing their, these songs to their kids. I mean, I guess I feel bad. Maybe I should write a song to my kids so I could feel better about, you know what I mean? And understand how hard it is to really do, but they just, you, know, you, you, you can do better than that. Do the thing a lot of artists do now and be like, they bring their kids up on stage to play with them. Like, well, here's my son. He plays guitar now. Or it's my, oh, my daughter and she can play drums. It's like, Oh God, really? Yep. I know what you're yeah. saying. Yeah. I've seen that. I mean, I, you know, Hey, kids are great, but you know, you know, I paid to see you, right. You know, George Thurgood play. I don't want to see your kid, you know, who's nowhere near the musician that you are playing, you know, play your material. Anyway, I, I think right. Sorry. No, no, it's weird. I mean, they had what, you know, um, John Bonham's son t- touring with Led Zeppelin and they've had uh, Oliver Wakeman touring with Yes, you know, the son of Rick Wakeman or whatever. So, I mean, it's done, but if you, you got to know the set and you know what I mean? Like, you can't just sit there and be like, hey, I'm, I'm the cute kid, you know, but whatever. Um, I, whatever, it's, I don't like it and I feel bad for not liking it because he obviously was incredibly hard felt about it. And um, it's just hard to give a crap about pam anderson's kid i know that sounds terrible but it's like i just you know he says something about and your mother loves you or something goofy like that and you're just like of course she does you know what are you talking about shut up so no i don't i don't like this song at all and i feel bad about it yeah i think you know sometimes you can be a little too specific in in terms of writing lyrics you know and that kind of divides the audience or marginalizes the audience in a way like you know if you write something a little more general in a way, and it's something that everybody else can you know dive into and, and you know take take away and say, okay, you know, I, I can relate to this song. But this song comes across as one of those things where if somebody said, um, you know, if it was either like at a wedding or a birthday party, and they insisted that I want to sing this song, you know, as a tribute to my son or you know to my, to my wife, whatever, and everybody you know that's there in attendance is kind of just cringing, waiting for it to be over. You know, it's just yes, yeah. I mean, it's, 
man, you know, I mean, again, this is multi-platinum artists, you know, big money. And here's the guy that's going to be, you know, this is my song. And you know, again, there's some cool chord changes in, in like the pre-chorus and stuff. And the strings are interesting. I think it was arranged by uh, one of the guys from Toto. I mean, so there's some heavy, you know, hands in terms of, you know, working on this song. But when you listen to it, you know, ooh, I mean, you know, thank God it's, you know, really the last song on the record because, you know, it's over finally. But, but uh, for God's sakes, this song does not belong on a Motley Crue record. It sounds nothing like Motley Crue. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, too, He's professing his love to his son, but is this the same son that punched him later on? Yeah, re- fairly recently, his son Brandon okay. punched him out for, yeah. Mm. For what? Mm. Whoa, you got to tell me that story, man. <sighs> I think it had something to do with Tommy Lee being an alcoholic and maybe being physically abusive towards his mother. I don't know exactly what the circumstances huh. were. but wow. Is he still an alcoholic? I don't I don't know. I mean, this wasn't that long yeah. ago. It was within the last five years. Um, yeah. yeah. Wow. You know, what's Tommy Lee doing now? Well, he's, he's waiting to get back on tour. Yeah, right? they <laughs> just delayed the tour until 2022 <laughs> now. But, um, oh, yeah, that's right. The big poison Motley Crue tour. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Where everybody makes fun of me for wanting to go see. I'm the only one in my building that wants to go to see it for Motley Crue. Everybody else is they want to see. Um, whatever poison and what's poison. It, Def, <laughs> Def Leppard. Yeah. And I'm like, what are you talking about? It's the crew. Oh, I've got I mean, my I'm, tickets. I'm, I'm going to go see it. Yeah, whenever. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I've got mine too. Yeah. I'll yeah. Um, but anyhow, okay. So, you know, I want to be able to say that I like this song because I feel like it's definitely heartfelt on Tommy Lee's part but it's so on the nose and and just witless and artless mm-hmm. and and super saccharine sweet. Um, you know, I do like the line, I only want you to be yourself, is you know, mm-hmm. I, I understand that sentiment, how parents usually project their own failures or who they could have been upon their offspring and they pressure them and 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 the fact that he's sensitive to that and and doesn't want that for his son and is writing about the the song is kind of interesting but man when you get down to lyrics like your mother gave birth to you with love inside she had candlelight and songs of life brandon i love you i love her she is your mom. It's just unintentionally yeah, yeah, yeah. hilarious. It hurts to listen to, yeah. It's painful. And I noticed when they played this song live on the tour, which unfortunately they did, um, the one thing is that he at least changed that line singing it live to she is your mama, which I don't know exactly why, but somehow is a little bit easier to digest <laughs> than she is your mom. <laughs> like, yeah okay so the album comes out and i have three distinct different memories of experiences with the band with this album so they are inducted into the rock walk hall of fame in front of the guitar center on sunset boulevard and at the same time they put out this stuff called motley brew which ties into the record and has lyrics from generation swine on it and you drink it and it turns you your skin and your tongue blue. That's the whole 
concept and so the band comes out and they stick their hands in the cement and they pour motley brew all over each other dying their skin blue and that was kind of fun i guess um so so then they they play a show at the mayan theater where and i'm gonna tell you guys this it's the sort of thing that i would think would be in a dream, except I know this actually happened because I was there. They literally played this entire album through for the whole concert. They played live every single song on this album at the Mayan Theater. They opened with Find Myself and Vince Neil swinging on a chandelier. They closed with Brandon and then they came back out and I think they did like a three or four song encore of classic cruise stuff but if somebody were telling me this i wouldn't necessarily Mm. believe it but believe me it's true i was there that happened so at some level they must have believed in this album enough to learn how to play all the songs live Mm. which is shocking to me Mm. that they did but they did um and so then they go on the normal tour and you saw this tour, right, Mike? So what was your impression of the tour? Um, I think, I, you know, again, I wasn't that, you know, I wasn't that into the record. So I was probably, you know, one of the, you know, I hate those people to say, I only went to see Kiss on the reunion tour because I want to see Degeneration open or you know, whoever's going to open the show. But, you know, Cheap Trick was on the tour. And I had never seen Cheap Trick in, in, in a big venue. Um, I had seen them in small venues, but you know, th- I thought well, I was more interested in seeing Cheap Trick because they're a great band. They'll they'll, they'll kick butt, you know. They always do. Um, they're road dogs, so they, they always deliver. Um, but it was just a weird show because you know they were, I remember them playing a few songs from the record, and it just didn't. You know, I had seen some badass Monte Crucios. I think the last show, well, no, two shows prior, I saw you know Doctor Feelgood in second row. You know, that was kick ass. That was killer. And then you know, I saw the, the you know the Karabi album, and that was. And questionable and then this was even more out there it just, it just seemed like it wasn't the motley crew that I, that I was expecting to see like i mentioned there was a porno at the intro it just seemed like a weird thing i remember seeing stuff too where nikki was getting into fights with security guards and you know it just seemed like again like a, a, a you know when you go to rock show you want to celebrate it, it didn't seem like celebration to me it seemed like i'm sensing trouble here you know despair something's going on here this band just does not seem together and i didn't really I didn't enjoy it, you know. I wanted to, but I kind of walked away. Well, all right, so I'm on the crew, but you know, it was definitely different than what I what I'm used to seeing, what I wanted to see. And this was better attended than the Karabi tour. It was. Well, granted, this was a smaller. Well, I shouldn't say a smaller venue. You know, it was at the Pittsburgh Civic Arena, which holds, I think, about maybe fifteen, seventeen thousand. You know, I, I would guess that there might have been at least you know ten thousand there. It didn't seem, you know, I, it, it definitely wasn't like a, you know the. the the show I saw with the Karabi tour where, you know, it was maybe like 3,000 and like a 17,000 seat you know, outdoor venues. So yeah. It was well attended. And I think part of that too could have been the fact that you achieved cricket the opener, you know, uh-huh. they always, you know, drive ticket sales. Sure. Sure. So I saw this, they played the actual tour after the club tour, theater tour, whatever. Um, they played San Bernardino pavilion, which is the same place <laughs> that kiss played on the revenge tour. Um, and it's kind of a weird venue. It's bigger than a theater. So bigger than the Palladium, which probably holds 3000 fourth, you know, but not 
an arena size. It's it's you know mm-hmm. there were probably five to six thousand max there. Um, so it was packed for what it was for the venue that they booked, but it you know not an arena by any means. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, my memories of the show, Tommy Lee's trick on this tour was that he was doing his drum solo and this guy in a space suit gets out and covers up the drum set with like a huge dome kind of cloth affair. And then uh, you're, you, you're still hearing the drum solo going, but you can't see him anymore because it's completely covered. And then there's like an explosion explosion or something and they pull the the cloth off and there's nobody behind the drums and the spaceman turns around and takes off his helmet and it's tommy lee so they didn't do that when you saw him i don't it was you know it wasn't that good of a show okay you know it wasn't that memorable to me i mean it wasn't as impressive as some of the drum set gymnastics that they've done in previous and and later tours but it, you know it was sort of like the doug henning version of <laughs> the tommy lee drum solo but at least it was something that was kind of cool and interesting and you go oh shit i wonder yeah. how they did that um yeah but uh but yeah and again this was the tour in which nikki six did his bass solo that I want to say was musically something from Quaternary um, and showing footage that he had filmed himself visiting his father's grave, which, you know, feels, I don't know, maybe therapeutic for him, um, (laughs) but kind of an odd, weird place to go in, in terms of the show. But um and also i remember the okay the introduction where they were doing sort of parodies of stuff i think they were in a spaceship at one point and then they were doing a parody of pulp fiction where um uma thurman is has overdosed or whatever and then they they impose themselves on on the pulp fiction thing and nikki six gets in there and he grabs the thing and he goes i want to do it i want to do it you know and which is kind of interesting in sort of a meta textual sort of way postmodern meta textual sort of way seeing as how he was the guy that had it done to him and he's now in pulp fiction reviving an overdosed uma thurman so i mean that's interesting right yeah yeah Yeah. but on the whole, final thoughts about Generation Swine. Uh, pretty forgettable. Nothing that really stands out. Um, yeah, the the only memories I have it is the winning of it. You know what I mean? And then not winning it. And then um, then all the articles in the paper about the show, the Civic Arena with the porn playing, and how they were they were going to whether or not they were going to press charges on them or anything like that. So. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's yeah. Nothing stood out, or nothing that I remember about it. Mike. Uh, again, it, it's, you know, I applaud artists for you know experimenting and, and, and trying new things. But uh, you know, in, in, this is probably the least Motley Crue record that they've ever released. Um, you know, and if I had to you know give a person who's never heard Motley Crue before an album, this would not be the one. You know, because they would say. You know, once they discover the other stuff, they say, "Well, what happened on this record?" It didn't sound like the band that you know that's on all the prior records. It's I don't know. 
you can sometimes you can try too hard and you can chase trends and um, you can, then you start to sound dated and then, then what do you have? You know, you, you know, couple that with some you know sort of phoned in lyrics. It's just not a strong record. You know, they're capable of better, and I'm not cutting on them. Just you know, I admire them for what they do, and they've released a lot of great records. It just, just just doesn't really match up. Yeah, I I they are one of my favorite bands. I think they're a truly great band. I think they're a lot better than most people think they are. But this is not a great record by any means. Join us next week, and we will take an in-depth look at Motley Crue' new tattoo. <laughs>